another bonus edition of the Sensibly Speaking podcast uh, with me, Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you for another episode, uh, a bonus episode. And this week, um, I am speaking with a friend of mine, Brandon Estrella, who has um, been friends with me for a couple years now. He is conservative. I am liberal. Uh, I like to call these impossible conversations. Um, They're not really impossible conversations, but it sure seems like that these days, doesn't it? We are not reaching across the aisle. We're not having conversations. We're not finding common ground. Uh, And that's, you know, I I think we're getting a little tired also, a little worn out about that. And I think we talked about that a little bit in this podcast. We did this on Monday night with the idea of posting it on Tuesday. That didn't happen. So I'm posting it today. Uh, And it is, uh, we are going to be talking about the um, Super Tuesday. We're going to be talking about the election. This is very politically heavy as a podcast. That's why it's a bonus episode for this week. Um, It's just a conversation. It's really nothing more than that. But I thought it might be of interest to some of you out there. I know the vast majority of my listeners really don't care about my politics, and I get that. I really do. Um, I'm not pretending to be a political pundit. I'm not trying to play one on TV. Um, But I do have a voice, and I do have opinions, and I do have ideas. And some of them, believe it or not, are well-considered ideas. And some of these things I've been thinking about or working on or studying for a long time as part of you know, the whole process of, of you know, becoming a nor real boy, <laughs> you know, in the world. So um, so that's the view, point of view from which I'm posting these podcasts. I'm not trying to be an authoritative um, person. I'm not trying to tell other, everybody how to act or how to think. But I do see a lot of people out there who say in, in, in things or act on things that are just not true. And at the end of the day, we really do just want to believe true things. And it's hard. It's difficult when you see things that are false being spread about by people who really should know better. And if they would take the time, maybe they could know better, you know. And I'm sure there's tons of potholes and and landmines and, and even, you know, spiked pits that I'm falling into as well due to my own ignorance. So I don't say all these things from a position of you know, supreme knowledge or golden, you know, ivory tower wisdom or something. I'm just trying to throw some ideas out there and see what people think about them. So, um, and maybe hopefully push things in a, in a, in a generally better direction, because I think that's really at the end of the day, what most of us want anyway. So with that little intro in mind, we're just going to jump right into it and right into the conversation I had with Brandon. And um, I will look forward to your feedback on this. There won't be little any little end note at the end. We'll just be wrapping up. We were initially doing this for his channel, for his podcast, and it might end up there as well. But I wanted to post it here. So enough said. Let's get to it. You know, I thought I'd relax this time. I Sometimes I get a little uptight about podcasts and stuff, you know. But this one, I'm just kind of, yeah, you know, relaxing. I mean... What is it? Tomorrow, Super Tuesday, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so like uh, a, lot of be- a lot of things for people to be tense about right now, so I'm trying to be the anti-that. I noticed <laughs> you know? your, your post, yeah. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm not going I'm, to, I'm done unfriending people. I'm done blocking people over politics alone. I mean, I'll block assholes, but sure. I'm done with the, just, just on the politics thing. It's just not right. And, and I want to, I want to go through this year as, in as chill a, a mindset as I can, because things are going to get crazy and they're already ramping up in that direction. And I've, I've already seen some extreme memes and stuff that I thought, wasn't going to happen for a few months. And I'm like, oh boy, here we go. So it's kind of like Toad's Wild Ride in the United States during election season, right? And I, I want to be, I, I want to be out there more as a, as voice of reason and, and let's, let's be chill. Let's be calm. Remember there's a future here, you know, that it's not, that the end of the world is not, you know, November 19th or whatever. And, you know, we can, we are going to keep going. Everybody thought, we were all going to die because Trump got elected and okay, we're all still here. There haven't been riots in the streets. There hasn't been, you know, gays are not being hunted down with shotguns. That's not what's going on. Yes, there are very objectionable things that have come out of the White House when you look at it from a moral perspective or, you know, from a sort of a hypocritical perspective. Yeah, there's all the political bullshit that goes on. And worse, because Trump's manner is the way that he is. So I don't like the guy. But when I look at an assessment of the damage that's been done, yeah, there's some really bad things. I really didn't like it, but it wasn't any worse than I think it might've been under, you know, other Republican presidents, perhaps, you know, I don't know that Ted Cruz would have, that I would have thought any better of any of the things he ever said or did, or our Marco Rubio or some of the other guys who had been on that stage in 2016. So, you know, do I want another four years of Trump? Absolutely not. I want that guy gone. I think he's destructive. But, um, but I, but it's not the doomsday scenario that so many people thought it was. And that's what I'm trying to hearken back to and say, hey, let's 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 be chiller this time. You know. You know, I I I agree with you wholeheartedly. And it was the same thing that I had heard when Obama won a second term. They were like, oh man, if Romney does not win. Like the government is going to reign supreme. Skynet jets are going to be flying over. You know, we're going to be locked in our home. They're going to have like gun owners are going to have to wear an armband that says gun owner on it or something like that. And that's right. That's it right. Was pretty right. Taking your guns, man. They're coming to take your guns. And you know, you know, was, you know, you lived through that side of the hysteria. It was pretty crazy, wasn't it? It was. And, you know, yeah, he did try to do some things, but the, the way that they were making it seem on the on the French side was that, you know, the ATF was going to be kicking in your door at dinner and shooting your dog to take your 30 round mag. And, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, could the United States come to that point? Yeah, it could. Sure. You know, but I don't think that in the way that they describe it, it's going to be an overnight thing. And I think that the way the fringe on both sides tries to push these things to, to get people, I've tried to look at it. Do they put these things in a way to where it terrifies people to get them politically active, to make money or to uh, rile up a base to get the results that they want? I mean, what do you think their agenda is in this type of, rhetoric 
Well, there's a, the thing about all this is that there's a lot of different agendas at once. You've got all kinds of circles within circles spinning around and around here, right? And, and it looks at, you got to look at the different levels of involvement. You got the media at one level, they're after clicks, they're after advertising dollars. That's pretty much what the media's major media sources have, have become. And they've been having to lay off journalists and print media and, and, get, and it's been downsized and downsized again because it's become more of an internet business model for, right. for news, the distribution of news now. And those, that distribution model relies on clicks in order to, to produce ad money. It's no different than YouTube. Uh, you need the clicks, not just the views. It's not how many people are reading your articles, it's how many people are clicking on the advertisements. So the advertisements become themselves disguised as political articles or other kinds of science articles. And those are getting clicks that way, even though people aren't even aware that they're clicking on an advertisement, you know, it's a little tiny print, you know, you see that kind of thing. So that's the money-making side of news journalism and that's taken over the news journalism. So you've got that vector, I guess you could say, of information delivery, but it's, you know, we want, your, we want money for this, so click the ads and everything that goes on in that. Then you've got, politicians who want your votes because they don't get to stay in office if they don't get your votes. So they're going to tell you anything and everything they need to that you want to hear so that you will simply check the box by their name come voting time. And that is the only real use that they have for most of, the, most of their constituents. They have special interest groups they work for who donate money to them which is why I say they work for them, right? Those are the people who are paying for the politicians to actually get to Washington, to buy the media, to, to grease the palms, to do what needs to be done in order to get there. And they need the, there's no substitute for votes. You can't do it, you gotta get the votes. So they've gotta get your vote. And, they, and DC is a very amoral place. Nobody cares about moral compasses in, in DC. That's not how that town works. Right. And, and from a certain point of view, there's a sensibility to that. You don't need emotional, moral clouding when you're trying to make very objective decisions about laws and regulations and rules. You want a steady head. But at the same time, if you completely toss your moral compass out the door, then who are you doing this for and, and who is it benefiting, right? And it starts, we start seeing that politicians are working more for their donors and especially the big donors because they're the ones who are playing, let's make a deal to get the politicians to do what they want. And that, that we find by, by survey that politicians are doing that more than they're serving us. So when it comes to campaign time and campaign rhetoric, they want the vote. And the way they're gonna get your vote is to tell you what they think you wanna hear. And then ramp up social media and the PR and marketing and all that of themselves to convince you to do that. So there's that level operating, you know, and then you've got the money interests at the highest level, the, the CEOs, the 1%, the people who are buying these politicians, right? Is that that's, they're buying votes, they're buying interest from the politician. When they call, if they've donated enough money, that politician's gonna answer every time, right? That's what they're paying for is a voice and influence on that person's decision-making process. Right. So. So different levels, I'm, I'm breaking it all down here pretty detailed, but you know, it, it's all happening. Yeah, it's kind of like when um, my friend was applying for a concealed weapons permit in California, 
and the only way that he could do it is if that he donated to the sheriff's department and um that's how you get your ccw in certain counties is that you have to donate and then you can get surprise it. <laughs> exactly it's at all levels we're just talking about the, pol the political machines but the bureaucracies, you know, which include law enforcement as well as every other bureaucracy out there, you're not going to find one. You will not find one that is made up of human beings that doesn't have some level of corruption in it at some point. You know, I think I think people have this this false opinion of what American politicians are about. If they uh, like they hold this strong moral compass and they want to do what is, you know, in the best interests of the people. And, and I think that people forget a lot that the people that we elect, they're no different from you and I. They're not some, you know, person to be held up on a pedestal or, or anything like that. They, they have their faults. They have, you know, their, their own demons and skeletons and whatnot. And I think people just get so shocked when they find out that, oh, this politician received uh, $200 million from, I don't know, uh, Time Warner or something like that. Name a company. And they're just like, how could they do that? How could they betray our, our you know, our, our way of, of moral compasses and ideology? In <laughs> right. Where, where have you been hiding the last couple hundred years? And well, exactly. It's the system and it, and it works the way it's going to work, you know? But it's, it's it, I mean, that's not wrong to call out, you know, moral inequities. It's not wrong to call out bad behavior. I mean, we need to. This is how we keep a rein on these things and keep it from going completely out of control. But it's just, you know, to expect that we're going to have these virtue systems where everybody is doing their part like a little ant, you know, in the, in the hive or something. It does, human, we're, we're too, way too complicated for that kind of operation we we have to see our interests served you know we have to have a selfish reason to be involved in anything we're doing um even if uh, you know even if that's the the selfishness of the satisfaction one receives for altruistic actions i mean there's always some feedback we're getting uh, you know that's why we that's why we do what we do so to expect that we're not going to operate on our nature in any human system is is kind of silly and i think we see that kind of idealism on on both ends of the spectrum and different you know voiced in different ways right um something i wanted to to get your opinion on and it's something that you and i touched on quite a while back um the difference between people that are um very progressive uh liberal and somebody who is more say conservative or right wing and how they react to things that may anger them or uh, piss them off or whatever term you want to use something that they don't agree with and i think that you and i were talking that to somebody who is more liberal is more open to emotions say the arts feeling like uh, uh things through music and being very in touch with their feelings and their emotions versus people that may be conservative are more accepting and invite a structure, a law and order type society. And that if something is like, if they're told about a law that goes through that prohibits them from doing something, they may not like it, but they're not gonna go out on the street and like throw a brick through Bank of America or something like that, you know, right. for, mo for right. most of the part. Um, right. You know, they, they do have their things, you know, they may 
rant and rave on Twitter and be like, you know, screw the government. But the, the there's definitely a, a seeable difference. And when it comes to the whole political spectrum, I've noticed, um, especially right now, as you said earlier about things heating up, um, when somebody finds out uh, on that side, on the progressive side, when they find out that you're a, a Trump supporter or that you're going to a Trump rally or anything that starts with a T, um, you are enemy number one. You're not seen as somebody who is, um, you know, the only reason you voted for Trump is because you hate Mexicans and anybody who is not fluorescent. And it, that's, that's it. That is where the, the bus stops. You know, right. it, it was, it's insane to think that you actually, you know, bought and believed the whole thing about the economy or jobs or whatever. Why do you think that, and maybe this can help people on the right before they, you know, fire back when they get something thrown, thrown at them. Because my whole goal in this coming thing is try to help mend the bridges that I think have been kind of being, been broken. Um, I don't think we've seen this kind of divisiveness because I remember, and I think I was telling you about this, that, you know, eight years ago, we could all sit at a dinner table or talk online, you know, through whatever thing. And I could be like, oh yeah, you know, I, I voted for Mitt or, oh yeah, I voted for uh, Cheney or something like that. And it wouldn't be like, what, you freaking Nazi or, you know, what, you crazy socialist? You know, it wasn't like that. Maybe I'd be like, oh, you know, okay, whatever. But it wouldn't amount to where it is now. How do you think that somebody on the right who is a Trump supporter can react to somebody that only sees them as a Nazi or something like that? Like, what would be your recommendations on how to maybe just be like, hey, look, I'm not so. And yeah, it's it's rough um, because you're talking about extremism on the left. You're not talking about everybody on the left. And this is an important point, actually. Right. Absolutely. In the same. You know, because we're talking about the the haters, the guys on the left who are like, it's my way or the highway. That's extremist thinking. And I would when say, you, you know, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I would say it was probably mostly like the Young Turks type crowd. Right. Yeah. And those guys rile up and live on the, the you know, the tears of the of the extreme right and the in a way, the tears of the extreme left because they play up, you know, victimology and stuff. Um, you know, you you can. Uh, sympathize with a position. You can understand a position. You can say, okay, I want to help somebody in that position. But there's a difference between that, which is called support, right? Or allyship or whatever you want to call it. Empathy, understanding. And people on the right are just as capable of that as people on the left. We're all human beings. It's a capability right. that we have. But when that's rejected by people on the left or people on the right, Right. At, you know, like that time we tried to do that podcast with the gun guys, you know, <laughs> you know, I kind of got kicked back in my face for it. Right. And it was like, well, that didn't feel so good. So I said, OK, well, I'm done. People respond that way because when they when they have a OK, I'll, I'll meet you in the middle. I'll try to get there. I'll try to see things from your point of view and maybe I can I can kind of get there. Um, and then they get rebuffed. Well, that's not good enough. It has to be, you know, you have to fully support that. You have to be all in. You know, if you don't see this as the critical moment or the critical point of the election or this person or this issue, if you don't see that, then you're part of the problem. 
you know, this, this whole thing, right? Yeah. And we get this attitude, we get this attitude on both sides, but we only really, really hear about it from the progressives, you know? And, um, and, it's, and it's a funny thing because you're dealing with extremism. And on social media, the only solution to that is really just block it and move on because that's one person. It's not the entirety. It's not a spokesperson. It's not even a, there is no spokesperson for the, for the entire left any more than there's a spokesperson for the entire right. I mean, can you imagine such a thing? Somebody and, trying to represent themselves that way? It would just, I mean, come on, you know, everybody knows that's just nonsense. There's, there's all kinds of layers and levels to this. So, so that kind of extremism is just, it's simply not constructive to, to engage with it at all. I used to have a different idea about this. But a few years of engaging with it on both ends has definitely disabused me of the idea that on social media, you're going to be able to get anywhere. In person, that's a whole different thing. I have noticed like when um, some of these, uh, there's this guy, uh, his name is, he works for the Blaze. He's actually quite moderate and he, um, mm. he goes to colleges and he's not one of the provocateurs but he actually goes up and he'll be like, hey, my name is Elijah Schaefer. Like we're here at, uh, you know, uh, Texas University, whatever. And he's like, I'm going to tell you straight out of the gate. Uh, I'm a Trump supporter, but I want to understand where you're coming from. I want, and then before he could say like another word, 20 Antifa guys come and swarm around him and they'll be like, you better get out of here before you crack your skull open. Right. And he'll be like, well, you don't even know me. They're like, we don't have to know you. You're a Nazi. We don't want to have anything to do with you. And I can remember him saying, he's like, I'm not a Nazi. Like, I'm mixed race. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I just want to be able, how can we fix this? You know, because it's going to get worse if we don't get better. Right. And they just, they don't want to hear him out because, and already they have this preconceived notion of what he is just because by affiliation. And I guess that's, that's right. that was my point. Like, how do we, even in public, um, you know? Yeah, again, you're dealing with the worst of the extremists though. These are the toughest questions because, you know, Antifa is at the extreme end of American left at the same way that the neo-Nazis are at the extreme end of the American right, you know, as we understand it, right? In Europe, it would be a little bit, it'd be looked at a little bit differently, but here in the US, that's how we, that's how it is. So, so you're talking about hardcore, you know, like radicalized people. Antifa are not regular run of the mill, Joe and Bill, you know, left wing voters who, who, are, you know, understand the nuances of issues. I've been attacked by Antifa. And I'm as, I'm solidly in, uh, left as, as, as well as you can get. They came after me because I was suggesting that another left-winged type person, Daryl Davis, a black man, black musician, who has had amazing success in one-on-one -on -one encounters and dealings with KKK members. Oh, okay, yeah, I know. That guy, right? He's he got 200 people in the KKK to disrobe and leave, the, leave their membership. And that's not even what he was trying to do. He was just having conversations with them along the lines of street epistemology and sharing ideas and beliefs and trying to understand the question, why do you hate me when you don't even know me? Yep. And he just took that to the nth degree and God damn, he is an amazing man. Yeah. And well was. done on him for doing that. Right. Yeah. So I point this out to the Antifa crowd who are just waiting to throw rocks at Nazis. And I go, hey, man, why don't you guys do what this guy did? If you really want to handle Nazis. And this was all on Twitter, the cesspool of the Internet. And I say, you guys really want to do something about this. You don't have to be violent. This is this was the 
basic argument. You don't have to be violent. Preemptive violence is wrong. I said throwing rocks at them before they've done anything is wrong. And three days of relentless, just them all over my shit, right? I, I blocked so many people that weekend. Uh, they were just all over me and they would not give an inch on this. I was a Nazi. <laughs> I, I was the bad guy, right? I was a Nazi sympathizer, right? Worse than a Nazi. I was a race, you know, I'm not a race betrayer. That's the Nazi line. But I was like a, you know, I was, there's no way I was left wing. There's no way I was progressive. No way I could possibly be talking any sense, right? Violence was absolutely the only possible solution to, to meet, you know, the neo-Nazis. There was no other possible way of dealing with these people. And I, it dawned on me after, you know, this direct assault with these guys uh, that um, these are not people who are interested in solutions. The people on the extreme ends of these spectrums are not about moderation, compassion, tolerance, understanding. It is a thousand percent, not a hundred percent, it's a thousand percent my way or the highway. And I believe personally that most of Antifa is made up of people who are just want to do violence to people and are looking for an excuse to do it. They're just and. Yeah, they're just angry, upset young people who want to beat up on stuff. And, and, and why would it be that such people wouldn't exist on the left? I mean, they certainly exist on the right. So, you know, why would that not be that way? Of course it would be that way. And that's where they gravitate to. And they love donning the gear and getting the baseball. But they just want to mix it up, man. They just can't wait. You can't, you're not going to reason with somebody who's in a position like that. You, the only thing you do is get the hell away from them as, far, as fast as you can and hope the police are around to witness anything that goes down so they can take action, right? And that's it. Just get away from those people because they want to do violence. I can't stress that enough. Yes. These are not reasonable, rational people. You know, all their, all their uh, mantras and, and uh, manifestos and whatever else they've got, <laughs> you know, that's, that's all just window dressing for an excuse for violence. You know, that's where I, that's where I honestly believe these guys. Yeah, that's, that's where I believe these guys are at, you know, and that's based on personal experience. It's not, I've been poisoned by Fox News, because I'd say all the same things just now about the Nazis. And the alt-right folks, right, this whole Unite the Right rally. I mean, Daryl Davis gave the whole rundown on that on Joe Rogan, and it was fascinating, because it was a bunch of hate groups getting together. It wasn't statue-protecting people. That's not what that was about. Oh, you're you talking know? about Charlottesville? Yeah. Yeah, Charlottesville was not about statues. They just, that was the reason that they put down on their applications for uh, parade requests so that, right. they could, so that they could have their meetings. They said, yeah, we're gathering here to, to you know, honor the statues of the Civil War. It's not what they were there for at all. So, you know, so those guys, I don't have a, I don't have a kind word to say about them either. They're, they're just as nuts. They're just on the other end of a political spectrum. You know, so the rationalization for their violence is different but at the end of the day all they really want to do is beat up on people you know so i did talk to a few people that did go to charlottesville uh -huh. and a couple of my friends went there and they were um they were just there to just kind of see what was going on and it's kind of like when we have like a gun rally out here or something like that and you'll have um i have a bunch of friends who are on the left and they'll go there just to kind of see what's going on or whatever and anytime you have a big congregation of people where I think just people are attracted to 
things that might be, ooh, ah, what is this? You know, it's kind of, is this dangerous? Is this going to be, you know, it's just kind of like, I don't know, like, I can't There's really certainly just, a looky-loo rubbernecking contingent. It's like when we drive and we see like a car that got smashed. Yeah, yeah, the rubberneckers. Yeah, he drives yeah. crazy. Exactly. Well, you, and, you speed up. You don't have to slow down and look at this. It's not necessary. Yep. And, <laughs> you know, and of course, we should also note there were way more protesters at Charlottesville or anti-protesters, right? There were way more prote people protesting the, the Unite the Right thing than there were the actual haters, right? And that's right. routine. That's usual. That, that, that seems to be the case almost every time in the last few years that this stuff gets covered. What, what I usually see, because um, I remember I was talking to somebody about like the, the Proud Boys which originally started out as um, uh, just like kind of like a guys club type thing. And then when it got huge and all these chapters started opening up and it was really not regulated, it got infiltrated by like, you know, a couple like these white supremacy guys. And then yep. before you know it, it was no longer just like, you know, hey, let's go play pool after work with the guys type club. It became known as a white supremacy thing because nobody kind of pulled it in. And so I think that's how a lot of these things get started and how they get these, these images. Um, you cannot create any sort of social club without kind of vetting your members and seeing what they're, what they really want to do. Um, yeah, and, it, can you, get, it can get tough. Yeah. Yeah. You get put in this camp with everyone else. You know, the loudest will always have the most attention. You could have a hundred regular people, but if you have two fringe people in there, <clears throat> excuse me, that are making all the fuss, they're going to be like, oh, those two people represent all these other people. And exactly. And that's the biggest mistake we all make. We do. This is this is universal, man. And it drives me crazy. It's one of the if there's like one thing I could change. Right. Uh, people's proclivity to doing that, to overgeneralize, to take one instance of something or a couple instances of something and generalize it out to the whole thing, whether it's political spectrum, religious spectrum, social issues. Man, people just go crazy with this stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, you can apply that to, you know, the whole opioid crisis crap that's going on right now. You Got know, that right. A couple people overdose. Well, we're going to take cancer patients off of pain meds because that makes sense. You know, because they, they're, they're all trying to get high. So, you know, it's just, it, you're absolutely right. If there would be some way we could do that, it would, it would be great. Um, yeah. So with the whole Bernie thing, man, where do you see this going? You, you, oh dude tomorrow's the big day man and i you know i suck at predictions i'm i'm gonna say i'm gonna say how i'm approaching this i'm gonna talk about it that way all right um because you know because so, who knows what's gonna happen tomorrow is gonna be a big day for america tomorrow's gonna be a real game-changing day for america I, either way either way it goes and i've pretty much decided at this point that it seems pretty clear it's biden and and bernie as the contenders, right? Bloomberg is, you know, throwing an unspeakable amount of money at this, but nobody likes the guy. It's not really helping him. No, it's not helping him at all. And it really actually kind of, kind of, I, you know, one of the reasons I like Bloomberg running is because, and the results he's getting is because it's kind of showing that you can't just buy an election. And this is the standard trope every time, right? Rich people win. And, and let's face it, rich people are the ones who occupy seats in D.C. at least, and certainly in state legislators. It's, you know, the, 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 the rich rise to the top because of the, the resources they have to buy the PR and the marketing and the commercials and stuff. But Bloomberg is showing that that alone ain't going to do it. If you suck as a candidate, uh, then you suck as a candidate. And Bloomberg has not established trust and rapport with the American public. So 
he ain't he ain't moving the dial for anybody despite how much money he throws at it so that's been an interesting object lesson but i don't think he's a contender at all tomorrow i think it's going to be between biden and bernie and what that really means is the left has got a decision to make which it's making right now it's been in the throes of it for months does it want to be the party of progress or does it want to be the party of the democratic establishment which is the democratic money the people who are on the left who have left-leaning views but have a lot of money the bill gates of the world right is that is that who they want to be catering to or do they really want to be the party of the people and be the progressive party that's going to move you know the the government dial in the direction of helping its citizens when they need it and that's that's what's going to be decided tomorrow based on who the candidate is. Now, whether that candidate then wins against Trump is a whole nother matter. And again, I'm not making any predictions about that right now. We've got months to watch this thing roll out. Yeah. You know, but that's what I think's happening right now. And that's why I'm watching it with such interest and why I've been throwing my voice into it a little bit just on some social media stuff. Because... Um, because I'm, I'm just very, very interested in where this is going to go. Yeah, I was uh, a little interested. I was reading um, uh, a mutual friend of ours who came over to house one time, and uh, and she put on her uh, Facebook that she was just all in for Warren, and that actually shocked me. I was a little surprised. <sighs> I was too. She was in for Warren, and yeah. I think that there and i've i've also known some other people that have been in for warren too as well as biden and there was a couple of people that were on yep. booty gigs and stuff yep. i don't hate Buttigieg the way some people do um Mm-mm. i just think that he's got the personality of a head of lettuce but <laughs> you know <laughs> well i was down with the guy until about two weeks ago when it became really super clear actually maybe about three weeks ago when it came super clear that he was that he was going heavily establishment he was starting to pick up the party the the establishment party lines the anti-bernie stuff you know hey we got we need somebody who's going to take trump out we need a solid you know this this very moderate push um and um when he started imitating obama's speech patterns Uh, yeah let's talk about it let's talk math and i was like yeah yeah I was like, dude, How's this is too, way too obvious. This is way too, you should not be doing this. This is not good for you right now. Because it was too it. obvious, you know. Yeah. Obama's speech patterns are specific, you know. He talks in a very measured way. I admire the hell out of his public speaking He was a great skills. speaker. Yeah. Ah brilliant speaker and his speech writers were good and he vetted his work and he knew how to give a speech that man is a brilliant speaker when he was giving Um, a speech you couldn't tell that he was reading the teleprompters right it it flowed natural like he just got into it and he grooved it like when when trump talks he's all like today we're having a very fine (laughs) in the united states we have americans all over like he just looked and he's yeah, like, yeah, if he's that coherent, I mean, yeah. it is hard for that man to put sentences together. It is, it is difficult to watch him. It's so there's like a guy difficult. with a pointer stick going like, <laughs> yeah, right. And I mean, and I'm a content creator, so like I have, I, I have something to say about people speaking, you know. But man, ah, oh, so anyway, yeah, yeah. Obama was a was a real dream as a as a public speaker, but Buttigieg, 
you know, Buttigieg was fine before that. I think he was responding to or trying to respond to the criticism of him coming across like a child or that not being the adult in the room. But let's face it, he is the child in the room politically. He's a mayor in Indiana. I mean, the guy needs to get into Congress and get some get his feet wet in D.C. and see how D.C. works. And then, I mean, Obama was a junior senator. You know, at least get there Community before launching. Yeah, I mean, because if you don't know how D.C. works, how can I trust you to go in there as a newcomer and navigate those waters? Those are deep waters, man. Yeah. And you got you to gotta know what's up. And yeah, then but- not to mention foreign relations. So... Yeah. yeah. Buttigieg went from playing softball at the local park to wanting to go play in the majors. <laughs> exactly. And, and exactly. I'm like, no, like you're, you're a pretty likable guy, man, but you're just, you're dump, jumping in too fast. And who I really liked, and a lot of people hated me for this, but I really liked Tulsi Gabbard. I, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. Hey, maybe you can answer me this because you may be been keeping track. What yeah. is she still doing in the race? I don't know. Dude, she's got nothing, man. Like, what is she doing in there? I don't get it. Maybe she's, maybe she didn't want to drop out because she didn't want to endorse anybody else. I don't know. Well, I was hearing some rumors that like she was looking to possibly ask Bernie for a VP slot. Um, I would be impressed by that ticket, to be honest. Now, Tulsi Gabbard scares me a little bit because her dad is in a real live, honest to God, destructive cult. No joke. What? Are you Krishna in this? Yeah. That's not, yeah, that's the Hare Krishnas are not just people who dance around at airports. Those guys are, that, that is a cult. Is it? You know? Yeah, it is. I, I don't no know joke. about them. Uh, well, I do. And it's not good. So, um, so that really bugs me, actually. But I mean, they, they um, seem like nice enough people. The... It, they're nice enough people. Scientologists are nice enough people, but it doesn't mean it's not a destructive cult. It's, uh, you know, and that, that connection really bothers me. It really does. Now, that being said, um, you know, if I'm going to take that off the plate or sort of put that aside, I like the fact she has military experience and I like her independent attitude. That's what's appealing to me as well. Yeah. She's kind of a, you know, fuck off no matter who you are kind of a person. That can be good and it can be bad. You know, obviously she got to where she is because she does know how to be a team player. You don't get into the House of Representatives without having some clue about how all that works or into the Senate without that. So she can play the game. Yeah, she's on but, the and I like the And I like the military experience. I like the international experience. And I like her attitude about that. So, And one thing that, that really stuck with me is that she's like, I've been to war. I've seen the bodies on the ground. I've seen, you know, on both sides constant firefights she's like i don't want that for my country i don't want it for my brothers and sisters she's like we need to end this and then she was criticized for talking to some of the dictators and she's like we need to have an open line of communication even with the foulest of human beings and she's like because if we don't know what's going on in their backyard then they're definitely knowing on they know what's going on in ours and we need to just you know not bury our heads in the sand this say because they're bad guys they're dumb if we can stop a war from happening because of a line of communication, then that's all the better. And I, I believe that. I think that, you know, yeah, we're not going to invite them over, you know, for drinks and finger food, 
but uh, well you know. well of course that's true you, you can't have foreign relations if you don't have relations of some kind with foreign entities you know what i mean and right. the thing that people forget the american citizens forget because we are so isolated and insular in our thinking and we don't understand our place in the foreign in in the bigger international picture we really don't we pretend we do some of us do but mostly those who have traveled extensively right a lot of people in the military kind of get it a bit mm -hmm. better because of their travel experience and the and the fact they've you know boots on the ground in other places not all military do the air force rarely get it right because they're never on the ground <laughs> probably get a bunch of shit for that but anyway um <laughs> You know, you you get like Mark Twain says. You know, the cure for uh, you know racism or whatever is is for is travel. You know, mm -hmm. is a, for prejudice, right? The cure for prejudice is travel. Um, so you you know, so I think that's you know, I, it, Americans don't don't really get that, and so we have this isolated sort of point of view, and so we think we're all that, and sometimes we're not all that. No, you know, and I think that's a anyway. I just like harping on yeah on americans you know somewhat i you know i i love my country I, I love everything about it in terms of its value system and and what it's what it's trying to accomplish for the world you know um but i think we've made some pretty big blunders in the 20th century that we're going to be fixing for a very long time and i'm and i'm disturbed by the fact that not everybody sees the blunders for what they were some people still go, no, that wasn't, you know, Iraq was fully justified, you know, Vietnam was absolutely necessary. And you're kind of like, mm, not really. Mm. You know, like, I, I, I know a few people who were there who would argue different, you know? Yes. Yeah. I think there is, and this is what a lot of people don't understand. You can still support the military without supporting war. And of course you can. For for some reason, a lot of people don't get that. They think that if you don't support the war or the operation or the campaign, whatever, that you somehow hate the uniform. That's nothing, that has nothing to do with it. I fully support the Vietnam veterans and what they were compelled to do over in Vietnam. But I do not agree with the Vietnam War. It was a pointless war. We should have never been over there. The only, the only thing that happened was there, we lost American lives. We lost, you know, it was, it was a pointless war. And somebody would be like, oh, you don't support the troops. No, that's not it. You know, every single person that went over there, you know, deserves a handshake, a hug, and, you know, the deepest respects. But I did not support the war. And I did not support us going over in the Middle East either. Um, you know, and yeah. it, it's just, and that's what I admire about Tulsi Gabbard is that she, she can understand the difference between supporting the troops and supporting the war. And I also like that she doesn't have she's not a right winger but she's not a, a left winger either she has picked all these little different pieces that i can be like yeah i can get with that you know <laughs> yeah she's kind of not really a a firm puzzle <clears throat> piece that fits easily into the you know many people's picture of how these how these spectrums work and what you're supposed to quote unquote have which I think is only going to continue to be a problem as we move forward. Um, and if this divisiveness continues and we don't figure out how to mend some fences and, and get things back to how they've traditionally been. And it's a little hard to see that happening at this point. Um, then, you know, I think the fluidity of our definitions of what it means to be a left and a right, you know, are going to change. And that's, that's 
natural enough. I mean, the original the reason, you know, what was it from the French uh, government or French Revolution or something? That was the the people who gathered on the left and the people who gathered on the right. Like they split them up that way in the room, and that's why it's called the left and the right. You know. Yep. It's arbitrary. It's completely arbitrary is my point, you know, so and, and you have switches. I mean, the Democrats used to be the Republicans and the Republicans were the Democrats. If you go back to Abraham Lincoln's day to pre-Civil War. Right. So whatever. Things change. You know? I, I also think right now America is trying to decide what type of country it wants to be. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of that going on. Like, that's right. Do we, do we want to become a governized like country? Do we want to give do we want to surrender a lot of our. I'm not going to say individual rights, but maybe a lot of things that we used to want to take yeah, things on our own. Do we want to hand that over to the government? Could they possibly do a better job? And then in, in another way, like some thinking would be like, no, we need less government. You know, we want more individual, more independence. And, and I think this is it's, it's very interesting to see because you have two different age groups right now that are kind of going back and forth. Uh, you have people my age um, that kind of blend in with the millennials. And then you have people that, uh, you know, the, like my parents that are in their 70s and 60s and later 50s. And the conversation I was having with my mother the other night, I asked her, you know, where do you stand on everything right now politically and like with, uh, you know, the candidates? And she's like, well, I think Bernie brings up a lot of really important issues. Um, she said that healthcare, whether you agree with it on how it's done or not, it's an important issue. She's like, your father and I are diabetic. Um, you know, we need healthcare. And that is something that a lot of people cannot afford because of the extreme prices. And so I understand people uh, gravitating towards Bernie Sanders because he talks about everyday issues that affects Americans. <clears throat> and then she said, she's like, but with that said, he's too far left for me. But I do agree with a lot of things that he talks about. And she's like, and this is where I get frustrated, is that, you know, there, there are a few things that I agree with Trump on. But, you know, again, I find myself voting against somebody rather than for somebody. And because my, my mom's left wing, but she's a Kennedy Democrat. And, um, you know, she's, uh, she's moderate left. Uh, in my, right. in my, in my well, that's the epitome of the moderate left right there, what you just described. Right. That's the, and that's the Biden voter right there. Yeah. You know? And, and I, the, let me just say this real fast before I forget. Yeah. Because there's a response I want to ha throw out there to the moderate thinking people just to consider or chew on, which is none of us, at least those of us, I believe, who are really thinking this through and thinking through the the potential barriers to if Bernie were to win, what would it take to enact his policies? None of us expect that on day one or day 100, we're going to have universal health care in this country or that he's going to sign some executive orders or something and bypass Congress and get a bunch of stuff done. We, we don't even want that. We didn't like it when Trump did it. We don't want Bernie to do it. We want him to use the levers of power that exist, you know, already in our constitution to enact what needs to be enacted, which means he ain't going to get most of what he wants, but at least he's going to be the first guy to actually go and push for it for real and not just appease, of, you know, uh, what, some, what, what they consider the fringe voters, you know, which is what they've thought of Bernie's people up until now as is just this fringe 
this bothersome group of people who keep coming up, right? Which is why there was so much rage in 2016 when Bernie got ousted on the, on the primaries. People were, you know, furious on the left over this. So there's not just a fringe. It's a, it's a lot, a whole, a lot of people on the left who want these things, but they know that they're never going to get them with a moderate. Biden's not going to push for universal health care. He's going to drop it like a hot potato as soon as he gets there, right? These guys aren't going to push for that. Klobuchar was never going to push for it. Buttigieg was never going to push for it, ever, in any way. So the ball wasn't going to move at all. The needle wasn't going to move at all. And with Bernie in there, he's not going to get everything he's asking for. Who does? Name me one president who's gotten everything he promised, right? Oh, of course. Or even a, even a fraction of what they promised. And everybody's freaking out over the promises instead of realistically looking at, this is the only way that we start the ball moving down that road towards universal health care that we all desperately need. So I wish people would temper some of their, you know, protestations with a little thinking about, well, would that really happen? No, of course it wouldn't. So, you know, calm down, guys. It's not, it's not Armageddon if Bernie wins, you know. Do you think that people should maybe build on, this, on Obamacare? Um, and this is something that, I, that I've heard, is that if you want to improve your home, and if you don't like the color of your drapes, you don't burn down your house and then build a whole new foundation. You just change your drapes. Obamacare was a very good idea. And I think that there was a lot of holes in it. And I lost my health care. I lost everything with it. Um, and my premiums skyrocketed. But people also benefited from it. That were um, people that could barely afford to get health care, benefited from the silver, gold, bronze, whatever. But for people in the middle class, we really lost out. Um, so I think that if we went back to Obamacare and made it so that you have two types of options. If you're with a union and you're getting healthcare from working at Safeway or something like that, and it's a good plan and you like it, whatever, we're not gonna touch that. But if you cannot afford healthcare, then you get a basic but good quality system that will be able to take care of you, and your family. And there's a lot of different budgets that we could, you know, change around. Like, you know, I've talked about the military budget before, um, you know, uh, just on five weapons alone from Raytheon, we could probably, you know, help most of the states. And exactly. so I, I think there's a lot of ways that we don't exactly have to do an all or nothing type thing. Um, and well, I, we don't. Of course we don't. And of course we can't. We're too invested in it. There's too much private industry locked up in who are taxpayers and part of the economy. And it's a major part of our economy, I believe. If you look at the entire insurance industry, private insurance, and then you add in, you know, what public health care already exists, the Medicaid, you know, level, who all the employees that keep that thing going, etc., so yeah, there's a whole lot of reorganization. There's way more work here than is ever going to get done in four or even eight years under one president. Way more work, right? Now let's point out also the fact that Obamacare was completely and utterly sabotaged by the GOP, right? Who had it for weeks, months, I think, in revisions and committees, you know, taking out this, altering that, modifying this, purposefully ruining it, by the way so that it would have that effect on the middle class purposefully 
so that they would be paying more, so that they would hate it, so that they could more easily repeal it. But even as bad as they made it, more people want it than not, and they're deathly afraid to touch it. So now they're trying to get the Supreme Court to do their dirty work for them. It's, it's just, it's pathetic what they've pulled on this whole thing because they are trying to protect the interests of the insurance industry and the pharmaceuticals who pay for them to get into office. I mean, it's, it's so simple. It's, it, it, a child could see this. You know, this is not the complicated part of DC politics. Right, just, just follow the money. Exactly. Every time. Right. So so we end up getting screwed in the process. So, yeah, uh, to answer your question or to, to talk to your point there. Yeah, of course, all of these things are going to be a gradual evolution. It's not going to be a, you know, new broom sweeps clean. That's that was the kind of crap that um, Trump thought he was going to pull, you know. Oh, you know, and then he comes out after a few months and he's like, oh, healthcare is so complicated. Who knew? And we're all like, dude, everybody knew, right? Like, like you, you just blaséed on this thing like it wasn't going to be any big deal. It, guess what? It's the biggest deal. It's a mess. It is the, oh my God. If you tried to map it out, it would take you weeks. I mean, it's just insane, all the levels of this thing. So well, it's like that comparison where people are like, well, Denmark did it. Bitch, sorry, <laughs> Denmark has 6 million people. We're 328 million people. Exactly. Right? And the way our government does stuff, I mean, remember when, remember when Obama was complaining, quite rightly so, and laughing at, at the time, uh, after his administration was just about over and he did his, uh, hey, now I can really talk to her. And he, and he went around and was like, look, this is what I had as an option and this kind of thing. And I think at some point in there, he was talking about the, um, the website. Remember the website was such a disaster? <laughs> yeah. Right? And everybody blamed Obama. It's all Obama's fault. And Obama had to take it because what was he going to do, right? He couldn't throw, you know, the, the necessary people under the bus or explain things. Nobody cared. So... Then he gets to come around later and go, look, guys, do you, you guys have no, do you know why that happened? It's because there are manuals this high, right, of regulations and rules that coders have to follow in putting together software for the government. Nobody at Microsoft has to deal with that level of rules and regulations to put stuff together. It took us months to navigate all that crap just to get the software put together that we did, right? So point being that these things, these, you know, these, there, there are levels, you know, at, that our government works at with this stuff that you never sees the light of day. And then people blame the surface level stuff because they never see the stuff going on underneath. Right. You know, that's all I wanted to point out with that little example there, you know? Yeah, I... I really think that Bernie could probably win over the moderates if he kind of, uh, if he didn't really change his, his principles and if he didn't change what he wants to do, but explain it into a way that a moderate person would understand because right. moderates think way differently than progressives uh, as a conservative and whatnot. And moderates are, I would say now in 2020, moderates lean more center right. And I would say that, um, you know, they're not Trump fans by any means, but a lot of moderates are religious. Um, they, 
they look in, you know, be it Catholic or somewhat of a Christian kind of base type thing, they may not be devout. I, th- I think I think you're probably right about that. I think you're probably right in the United States about that. But that's, mm-hmm. but I think it would depend on what issues you're talking about too. Because mm-hmm. some, you know, so many of these people also are single issue voters. So it's kind of like depends on what issue you're talking about as to whether they're conservative or liberal. Well, you know, the, but I think I think you're right about there being more moderate right than moderate left. On the on the debate stage, he was asked by um, and also in 60 Minutes with Anderson Cooper. Anderson Cooper said, "So he said, so you're going to get rid of private health care?" And he said, "Yes, but we're going to make universal health care better." And then Anderson Cooper said, "But for anybody that has private health care or wants private health care, you're going to get rid of that." And he said. Yes. And then I said, right then you lost the moderates because I know, believe it or not, moderates want to feel like they're in control that, you know, right. and people that are conservative don't want the government saying, hey, this is what I feel that's right for you. Even though it could be in their best interest, people don't, I think people, regardless of what country you come from, we want to feel like we have some control over our lives. We don't want to surrender it to like people in suits, you know, in a big building. Um, of and course. I, and I think that's where the gun control argument comes in for a lot of people. I know for me it does. The last thing I want somebody to do is tell me what I'm safe with and what I'm not safe with. Um, and if I want to pay $150 for this plan, well, damn well, who are you to tell me different? You know, um, if I feel that this, because of my income, fits me better, then I'm all for it. But when I think Bernie does say stuff like that, I think that does kind of hurt him. I, I don't disagree with you on that. I think you're right. Um, I, and I can't defend him. He's going to have to come up with his own messaging on that, you know, because I, I think you're right. At the same time, I understand the fact that he's trying to be at the bleeding edge of, of progressivism, of, real, of, of what he would say would be realistic. I don't think it is, but I think it pushes in the right direction, as I was just going on about. And I, and I wish that people could see that kind of nuance in what's going on. It takes a longer term look. It takes a bit of a bigger, bigger look. You know, you got to step back outside of yourself and kind of look at the, the broader perspective and the bigger picture and realize, just like with gun control, you know, it's a, it's a small, it's a marathon, not a race, not a sprint, right? It's, it's, it's a long term game we're talking about here. We're not going to be able to alter the, the insurance landscape of the United States for 300 and however many million, you know, million people live here in four years. That's ridiculous. Even if, you know, even if we put the entire government on nothing but that, it would be almost impossible to, to, to turn that train that quickly uh, on that. And anybody who thinks about it for a moment should see that. I go, oh yeah, duh, of course. You know, so this is the choice for, do you want this at all? See, that's really what, how I see this. And if, if enough people can't see what I'm saying here, then, then, that's, then it's going to get lost. And then this opportunity is going to go by. And we'll get another four years of, of Biden, possibly, at best. That's the best case scenario for the left if they choose that non-progressive course. But then who picks up health care again and when? Because Bernie, if he just got his ass handed to him on that, and he loses this year, right? He doesn't get the nomination. Well, that's gonna say, yeah, well, yeah, he ain't coming back for another one, I'll tell you that. So who steps up next with that same level of intensity on healthcare? 
and what's it going to take for the American people to actually get it on health care? Because that speaks to the fact, if that happens, then that speaks to the fact that the majority of people, if, it, if this is all honestly done above the boards, then it speaks to the fact that the American people really don't get it on universal health care. And the rest of the world, this is a step, this is one of those points where America's insularity really works to its disadvantage because Americans are getting their ass handed to them on health care. Oh, I spent $2,000 this, this week on right. doctor's appointments. And there, so you see it because it's affecting you, right? And other people, I don't get it, man. These, they're just blind as bats on this. It is scary because literally people from overseas, both directions, you know, Australia, Europe, all of them are like just all over social media going, you guys are nuts that you don't have this. You're not just a little nuts. You're full blown insane for paying what you pay for your health care. It doesn't have to be this way. And everybody, you know, and all the people who push back against it in America, I'm convinced they're suffering from some kind of Stockholm syndrome, you know, of our system because they just think this is the best it could possibly be. It couldn't possibly be any better. And they really don't seem to believe that it could be better. Well, I know? think one of the biggest things in the last, I want to say, four or five years, maybe even longer, a lot of Americans have lost faith in their government and they don't trust their government. Yeah. They, they want more uh, solidarity with their being in control of their lives and whatnot and more individual I think they want to go back to a time where they felt that the government was working for them, not the individual working for the government. And <clears throat> I don't know at what point in our history it became where the government became so powerful. It went from five individuals in a, in a beer hall, you know, having a meeting with the local town folk to now these huge entities worth trillions of dollars and being guarded with tanks and untouchable you can't if i wanted to call nancy pelosi right now because of something that i had on my chest and i wanted to address as an american citizen i wouldn't be able to get to her i can't even get to my own uh my own local uh governor there's no way you know but back in those days you could go to those town hall meetings and you could be like hey senator so-and-so or hey governor so-and-so and they well, yeah, I'm, they, I mean, they still do town halls and stuff. Senators will come back to their states and be beholden to their voters to one degree or another, especially during the election time. Right, but how much of it is actually, you know what I mean? And Oh, totally, totally. And the, I, don't, I, I don't mean to be Pollyanna. No, 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 I, I get, get it. it. And the other thing that I've heard um, with government health care, a, a big concern of mine as a chronic pain patient and a lot of other people is that right now the, the DEA and the CDC have waged war on chronic pain patients with the right. whole um, opioid thing. That's right. And for some reason, they refuse to see that it's not pain prescription pills. At one point, it was. Absolutely. Doctors were being way too liberal over prescribing, but then that got wrangled in. And I don't know if a lot of... I've never talked about this online before. It was kind of a private thing. But um, for people that don't know, what happened in the late 90s... Uh, from the, I don't say mid 2000s, is that the pharmaceutical companies being at, um, uh, you know, what's it called? Um, I can't think of, there's so many, but like Malinquat or uh, the, any sort of big pharmaceutical company pushed incentives for doctors to prescribe Oxycontin. They said that it was non addictive, that you could take it if you had pain, and then if you wanted to stop it, you could. Well, with anything that is opiate based, 
your body does become dependent on it and you cannot just stop. Well, I don't know if it was through money payoffs or, you know, certain sort of uh, vacations or whatever, but they were pushing a lot of doctors to prescribe this just for your minor aches and pains. You know, you bumped your shoulder, here's a bottle of Oxycontin. So they were just dishing out all these prescriptions to everybody for anything and anything. You know, you got a tooth pulled, here's a bottle, you know, whatever. And it became normalized. But then we found that people were abusing these things. So instead of uh, vetting patients, instead of, you know, monitoring things, uh, we just let it go. And then it spilled out into the streets. And then people, you know, that uh, were not taking them for the right reasons became, uh, they abused the medications. And then, uh, you know, so all that fiasco happened. And then the government saw what was going on. So they said, oh, you know what? We're just going to yank everything at once regardless of why you're taking it. If you're taking it, we're going to yank it from you. So what happens then? You have people that have become accustomed to taking these medications for, for, uh, for good or for bad. And now that it is unable to be reached, what are they going to do? So either they have these three options. Uh, for chronic pain patients, it's being in bed, suicide, or taking your risks on the street. Many of them have taken the suicide um, and trying to buy stuff from the black market. The cartels saw what the government did and they said, you know what, we've lost money on marijuana, that's no longer an entity for us, but there is a plot to be filled here. They buy cheap fentanyl from China, they manufacture these little pills that look exactly like uh, your regular Percocet or Vicodin, but it's not oxycodone, it's not oxycontin, it's fentanyl, which is measured in micrograms, not milligrams. And so somebody that may have you know, been looking for some sort of relief, two people are affected. You have the addicts that are affected and you have the honest to God, true, non-abusing pain patients. And so both parties died. And the CDC came out in 2016 with the MME, it's the morphine equivalency measurements, which they, all opioids are attached to what does it rate in morphine. Everyone is treated in a general thing. Nobody is treated as an individual when it comes to pain medication. So if you're 265 pounds and you've been on pain medication for 20 years and you have a high tolerance, you're being treated the same way as somebody who just got on pain medication two days ago. So, you know, you're probably not getting enough or you're getting too much or nothing is treated as an individual anymore. So now you're having all these people killing themselves and overdosing on fentanyl. And the biggest, and my, my point of this was that if the government does control healthcare and a lot of these people that have had their meds cut have had to file for disability. Now they cannot play with kids anymore. They can't work full time. I used to be able to go to the gym. I used to be able to work full time. All that's been cut because of this. My biggest fear is that if the government does become totally in charge of health insurance, how far will that go with my pain medication? As of right now, I don't have insurance, so the insurance company uh, is not telling me how, you know, they're, they're in the dark about a lot of things. You know, I'm not doing anything wrong, but I'm sure if they saw something that they didn't agree with with their policies, they may not fill it for me. Um, and that's actually a lot of insurance companies are dropping cover, uh, covering pain medications. Um, and a lot of pharmacies are doing that as well. Uh, so with that, if the government does become in control, who are they not to say, guess what? 
we're not gonna we're we're gonna you know not we're not gonna do this for you or um they may come after you in some way as they're doing the doctors now uh my last doctor who was basically treating palliative care patients end of life patients people where their insides were liquefying and they were just looking for some relief before they died the dea kicked in his door took all his files in there with mp5 machine guns and this this, was, this guy was like 78 years old and he was told by the dea you need to kick all 400 of your patients. And he said, I'm not gonna do that because these people have nowhere to go. So the DEA took his medical license and they shut him down. So, yep. um, you know. Well, I'm gonna tell you exactly why all that's going on because you're right, it's, it's fucked up. It's fucked up beyond all measure. It is total horseshit that all that is happening. And there's a reason for it and it's not, the reason is not because the government's administering this. <clears throat> The reason is actually much more specific than that. There were specific individuals in the history of our government, Richard Nixon being one, some folks back in the 20s being others, who decided that their racism would be wedded and their political careers would be forwarded by blaming minorities for drugs and, and, and introducing the idea of criminalizing drugs, opiates, and marijuana. Right, Nixon went to town against the blacks and Mexicans for marijuana. Oh yeah, especially right? the cocaine era. Oh, absolutely right. Then we get cocaine, then we get the war on drugs. This is Reagan's and Bush's, you know, That's thing, Reagan. and Clinton with the three strikes law. I mean, both sides of the aisle were pushing this bullshit. And the basic problem, the philosophical problem at the bottom of that, is treating drug dependency as a criminal activity rather than a medical issue, which is what it actually is. Yes. The crime stems from the disease, or we could call it a disease. I don't mean it's a biological thing in the same way that it's a virus or a bacterium, but it acts like a disease in many, many ways, and it is sure, certainly addictive. Gene. You know, yeah, very much so. And that's a bi that addiction is a biological process. Let's not, it's, let's not, it's not a moral issue. Right. So with, the, so with the religious folk making it a moral issue and sermonizing about it as though it was some choice that you had to make in a moral way, which is not true after you're addicted, it's all over. And people go, well, you know, they made the choice to get onto them in the first place. Like these are very ignorant statements. These are statements that are very ignorant of, so, of sociology, psychology, you know, how this, all this stuff works, right? So it, people don't live in a vacuum. They don't just up and decide one day, oh, I think I'm gonna go do some drugs. Right. There are, there are so, many, so many points at, at play here, but the bottom line is that we have treated this problem and it is a problem. I'm not taking away anything from the problem by saying it's a medical issue. I'm clarifying the, the, re, the, the solution for the problem is going to lie in the medical field, in the psychology field. It's not going to lie. We've had, what, 70 years now? How long has the DEA been in existence? How long have we been had this war on drugs? How long have we been throwing people in prison? You know, the United States has more people in prison than any other place in the world. It's insane. And most of them, there for drug charges. It's ridiculous. Three strikes law was a disaster. So I think, you know, we all know this is not some hidden history deep in the dark recesses of the internet. This is common knowledge. This is in documentaries on Netflix, for God's sake. You know, this is not hard to figure out or find out about. So now that we know what the problem actually is, why don't we stop this pretense 
that we're solving anything with these structures that we've built, the DEA and the, 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 the walls and the thises and the thats, you know, and the laws that we have against these things and the schedule, the classifications of the drugs, these are completely off when marijuana is in the same schedule as heroin. <laughs> Yeah, that's... Bernie brings this up, right? And this is where our solutions lie is, again, if this is a problem you really want solved, Bernie's the guy because he actually gets this. He understands. He literally stood on a stage the other night and said, marijuana is scheduled as the same level as heroin. It's ridiculous. That's crazy. On day one, we're doing away with that. He said it. On day one, we are doing away with that, right? Well, what we need to do, we need to follow the model of Portugal. You know, exactly. The, the the decriminalization exactly. of narcotics in their first year they had a 38 percent drop in uh, overdoses that's right and it's not like you can go to portugal i checked this out you can't go to portugal and go to a dispensary they don't they're they're still not cool on you you know running around selling this stuff in their country they just decriminalized the use of it right and that and that made that big of a difference in one year right and they're still moving on this europe is way ahead of us on, on all things drugs you know yeah. so this is why we lose it on that it's not who the president is it's not the government structures so much it's the whole philosophy of how we're tackling this problem and dare i say it this kind of thinking comes straight out of you know christian morality yeah, eye for it, an eye, you know, Islam, that's that it doesn't just exist in Islam, <laughs> the whole eye for an eye thing, you know, right? Yeah, they, they feel that, you know, any sort of healing can be done with, you know, prayer and just, you know, it, I'm sorry, but when you've been up for three days, because it feels like somebody has like a katana shredding through your back, I don't care what your religion is, praying on your knees ain't gonna fix it. And exactly. Uh, the thing that I, I remember when Jeff Sessions came out and said to chronic pain patients, take a Tylenol. And I was like, dude, I just want to, <laughs> really? Oh my God. And, you know, with the, with the whole drug thing, they have marijuana scheduled as a class one narcotic, which means it has no medicinal value. Um, PCP is on a schedule two because the, uh, they still use it. Uh, psilocybin in uh, Colorado uh, psilocybin right now is being used to treat some people with anxiety, depression, and whatnot. Uh, ketamine has been going through some clinical trials in that, finding great success and all that. But I think for so long, as you said, we were conditioned to think of anything that starts UGS, you know, that it's bad. That, uh, and I'm not saying, you know, if you're not smoking a bowl of meth, it's probably not good for you because you know, there's just uh, logic in that sense. But if you can find some uh, medicinal value in these things, uh, in maybe, because uh, I think the biggest thing that the government or any sort of law enforcement agency misses with drug addicts is that they understand that they have a problem. They self-medicate to try and fix themselves. Uh, for a lot of people with, um, a lot of people, it, it's been shown that a lot of people that have social anxiety um, or depression, they'll drink, they'll, they'll use alcohol, they'll use cocaine, um, any sort of stimulants. Um, and I, you know, just like if you're nervous, you have a couple drinks, it cools you down. But for some people that have the addictive gene, you know, that person can either have a couple of drinks to wine or they need to get blackout drunk. And um, our, our laws have not caught up to science 
and I don't know. Oh, God, are you wrote. kidding me, man? <laughs> Our laws are totally 17, 1800s. We're, I mean, we're yeah. still waiting for the maesters, man, at the Citadel. Yeah, I'm telling you, the psychology might as well not even exist <laughs> for all the law cares. It's crazy how far behind they are, and you're, you're right on the money with this stuff. We are, we are really missing out, and this is where we need progressivism and progressive thinking, and we don't, unfortunately, the kind of people who gravitate towards no, those fields tend to be fairly conservative. And so they're all about, no, we got to keep what we've got because it works and we're not going to mess it up because then it's not going to work. And you go, well, yeah, fair enough. But, you know, there's also changing times and there are, you know, things that need to be changed in these systems to keep them going, not with fads, but with real live change, you know, and real progressive changes that make life easier for all of us you know and that's what this is really about and bernie gets that and i i didn't see any other candidate who did i thought elizabeth warren did too i thought she was out there and she is in some ways but she'll say whatever she really needs to that's say. what's come clear to me is she will say pretty much anything she thinks she needs to and i wasn't cool on her you know knife and bernie in the back either Dude. a couple days ago uh, right well when she really uncool I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but when she came out and said, like, you know, oh, I, Bernie and I were in a private meeting in 2016, and he said a woman will never be president. I was like, dude, I may not be a huge fan of Bernie, but what I know about him, and I've watched a lot of his videos, and I've seen him back in, like, in the 60s with his crazy hair and sitting there and being like, you know, we need to be more progressive. And I'm like, this guy has been a staunch progressive for as far as I can tell, holding hands with people on strike. He's been there in the trenches. Not, I would never believe that he would say that about a woman, you know? Exactly. And, if, and if he did say it, he probably said it in the, in the light of, oh, it's going to be very hard with our current climate to get a woman president. And, you know, I think she, she, she saw that he was gaining ground and that he was going to, you know, one up her. And she's like, I need to use this because, with the whole Me Too movement, I can use that to my advantage. And, exactly. You know, exactly. so I didn't think that was right at all. No, um, it wasn't. And I'll tell you what's actually happening there. At least I think I think I I think I get what's actually happening there. And that is that Elizabeth Warren is getting the the sort of you know we've been talking about the center moderates, and then you got Bernie's guys over maybe more left. But then there's these folks in between. You know, these folks who kind of want progressive, but you know, not as much progressive as Bernie is saying. And she's more, you know, kind of in this zone. And I think what's happening is she's decided or been asked or told that her role now is to just take as much as she can away from this. To take it right? because now. Because that means it won't be as many delegates for this, which means we have a better excuse to push this, right? Which is Biden, of course. And we have a so, convention and whatnot. Yeah, because she was a she was a, a heat seeking missile against Bloomberg, right during the debates. She went out, man. Oh. She went out swinging. She's yeah. Like, oh, you want to tell us about those NDAs? And oh. he's like, um. Mm -mm. Yeah, yeah. She was going for the for the throat, man, and he was not prepared. He looked like oh. an idiot. So now her task, you know, now that Bloomberg's not really a serious candidate, now her task is, you know, take Bernie out as much as you can. And it is sad to me that she agreed to do that because it's clear that she did. And no, nothing that is done in these races is by chance. Nothing. Uh-uh, that was all you know? planned. Yeah, this is, this is planning. This is the result of planning. This is the result of 
focus groups. This is the result of surveys and the, the very best people get paid a lot of money to do this work. And so, so knowing that this is all theater in a way, you know, we're the only rat, we're the wild card in this whole thing. Our decisions are what decide. This is choose your own adventure, right? Right. Um, so it's kind of like that, you know, and that's how this selection cycle is going to run. It's going to keep running this way. It's going to be, they're going to try to do it by design. Bernie throws them off the same way Trump was throwing the right off. You know, remember how crazy the right was reacting to oh, Trump? Oh, man. Bush, Cruz, Rubio. Oh, everybody like, was just aghast, you know. They were guns blazing for Trump. They're like, how do we get rid of Trump? How do we derail him? You know, we got this guy can't be president. We're going to, you know, he's talking about draining the swamp. We don't want to lose that, you know. And so they were attacking him the same way that the, the, um, the elites uh, on the left are going after Bernie. And I wouldn't put it past Warren to have a conversation with Biden to be like, hey, if you get up there, what position can you offer me? Exactly. And, exactly. And the same thing that I felt when Bill Clinton met with Loretta Lynch on the tarmac out here in Phoenix. I'm pretty sure he was like, hey, if you make sure that Hillary's stuff goes away, there's going to be a nice cushy desk for you in our cabinet when we win. And Big time. You know, and it's like people don't see that. But for, for Warren to really go against everything that she had built her campaign off of to go and attack Bernie, I'm like, you guys celebrate the same progressive principles. Why are you going to backstab him? Like, he's done nothing but help you out. And I'm pretty sure if she became the candidate, he would probably endorse her. You know, again, of I... Of course he would. Of course he would. I and that's what's not, so cruel about this, you know, is it gets vicious like that. And that is really sad. And you don't see Bernie doing that. And all this bullshit about Bernie bros is just so much, you know, like we're talking about a fringe group of folks on the internet. You know, this is ridiculous stuff. You know, yeah. yes, there are passionate Bernie supporters, just like there's passionate Hillary supporters and Warren supporters, et cetera. It just gets a little bit blown out of proportion, I think, because of the fact that Bernie shaking things up. I, I hate, I hate comparing him to Trump in any way, but it's just, if the shoe fits and right now he's blowing up the left the same way Trump was blowing up the right. Well, the one thing that I've noticed with Bernie and Trump is that they attract the same type of uh, supporters, you know, different, um, different ideologies, of course, but the same passion that this is our guy. He's hitting home runs, you know, like we're going to defend him. We're going to defend him. That's, and that's then you true. have, you have his super supporters. that are like, if you even talk bad about him, we are going to run you to the ground. Yep. And, uh, cause I was watching the view and, um, uh, Whoopi Goldberg was talking, um, about this whole thing. And she was saying that, you know, Bernie is making a lot of waves and he's pissing a lot of the, the elites off. And she's like, but the one thing that I have seen is that, these supporters that are in the fringe will defend him endlessly and they'll say some really mean things and you know and it's it's but i understand that because when you are passionate with about somebody and you see this person as somebody who can help you and you look at the opposing side of saying that we're trying you take it personally so i, I of course think, you do of course you, know, you do because I, I remember when i was all in for trump um, you know, and people were like supporting Hillary and I, and I hate to admit this, but you know, I, I have to, um, cause I looked at Hillary as somebody that was going to clean out my gun closet that was going to, 
shoot taxes sky high, that spat on the police and the military, that that went against everything that I believed in, you know, and I looked at her as this monarch, so to speak. And, you know, and then when somebody would be like, oh, you know, I'm still with her. I'm like, you mother, you know, like, you know. Exactly. I didn't go after people hardcore, but I would just be like, talk to the hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly i well it's like it, it's what we do because we identify with the people that we follow right and we want to be like them and this is a usual this is just total psych 101 stuff you know it's not really complicated uh, but we you know we can overdo that and that's what cult thinking is all about that's where the whole you know abusive codependent thing comes in so yeah so you don't want to really let yourself go there you know it's a politician it's not your dad Right. It's not it's not something you need to get personal about. People get so personal over this stuff and it's they really they, really, they, they get too deep. And I, I, I this is me talking to me 3 years ago wishing I had known this. Same here. You know, yeah, cuz I went too all in on it and I didn't I couldn't see the 1000-yard view and I seeing that now has been an education. I don't feel I'm wrong for having opposed Trump. I still stand by everything I ever said about the man. But I, I, my emotional level is what I'm talking about. It, my, my personal investment in this was too much. Even if the things I was saying I still agree with in terms of the points I was making, the, the, the vociferousness, the, the yeah, it's that what, was not needed. It's what the Trump you know? supporters call TDS, where it's basically like, this person lives, breathes, and eats like anything that's anti-Trump. They wake up shaking their fist at him. They, you know, if they, it, there's a meme that I saw where this guy's riding a bike and he shoves a broom handle in the spoke and he's like, fucking Trump. And just like, just everything, you know, if, if Trump, you know, opened the door the wrong way, uh, this guy's life is over or something like that. And they just hate him with so much passion versus the people that, you know, like you just said, like, I may not like the guy. I think he's an idiot. You know, I would never support him. But he does, like, he does not define how I live my life, my feelings, you know, how I treat other people. And I think for a lot of people, they just get into this, you know, this simmering hatred uh, for somebody. And that's so unhealthy. Uh, and I used to have that for, for Hillary Clinton, man. I, I remember watching them at the debates, and I just had... And now it, I feel like it was such a waste, you know, all these feelings and this attention that I gave her and that I, I put into just thinking that, you know, if I keep hating this person, somehow this will help Trump win. And, you know, but I just, I wasted my own, you know, just got my stress level super high and, you know, and it, it didn't do anything. Um, and I, and I think for some people like with, with uh, Bernie supporters, when they're at a Bernie rally or Trump supporters, when they're at a Trump rally, when they're in the moment and they're enjoying and they're feeling that energy, it's kind of like being at a rock concert or something, you know, they're thinking inside themselves, like, how can you not get on board with this? This is great. You know, and uh, the other side that supports the other person is probably like, well, how, why would I get on board with this? You know, you guys are crazy. And then, you know, back and forth. Um, That's right. That's so right. And this is all, you know, all the cult mechanisms that I talk about, you know, and, and there is a line, you know, you use these things, you get all personal with this stuff, you get all into it, it can get a little culty, you know, it, it's just that it doesn't become destructive. It's not, these are not destructive cults we're talking about here. This is political stuff. This is what people get into. It's tribalism. So, you know, 
it's there's nothing you can really do in the end to prevent this stuff it's kind of one of those things again where you know we're going to get a little ridiculous if we you know if we keep going on about it because it really is just our nature Mm -hmm. and you can't fight that and as much as religious folks like to push back on this stuff and think that you can you can't you know, and that doesn't mean that we were all born in original sin and we're all sinners and there's nothing we can ever do to redeem ourselves or, or something. There's nothing to redeem. We are just alive. We are here. We are doing what we're doing, you know, and, uh, you know, so I think that attitude also colors a lot of, you know, all the problems we've been talking about. Well, you see the same thing with, with sports fans, you know, that really become passionate about their team. And if, you know, if you're, let's say you're, uh, I don't know, I don't know sports at all, but like you're a Kings fan. And then yep. you know, the guy next to you is a Ducks fan. And it's like, oh, you son of a bitch. How dare you support the Ducks? They suck. It's all about the Kings. And like, they really get into that stuff, man. Fights, you know, brawl out and everything. And, and what politics has become, it has become a sport, uh, an analytical sport. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting, but these are some trying times. And like you said, you know, I, I, I think people, regardless of who wins, I think at the end of the day, we need to remember that, you know, when all is said and done, you have to share that house with that person. You have to share that workspace with that person. And how is it going to help your day if you have this simmering hatred for that individual? Just because they may disagree with you. That's okay. You know, and like you said, you're not going to block anybody on Facebook you know, uh, of their, with their political opinion, unless they're like goose stepping down the hallway with an SS bolt, you know, but, um, you know, it's just people need to just take a breather for a second and be like, look, you know, it it doesn't make this person the opinion of all evil just because you disagree with them. Exactly. And I don't know where we lost sight of that. I don't know how we, we missed that. I'm not sure either. I'm hoping that, you, me, you know, other people out there, in the same way that that comedy sort of pendulum swings or social, you know, we kind of pendulum swing as to what is and isn't okay to say or think or or talk about. I think uh, I, I think maybe the pendulum swinging a little bit, you know, that we're starting to realize that the fervor and the intensity with which we've been dealing with this is really unhealthy. And I, maybe some of that comes from the fact that people are just so damn exhausted at this point. Buy so. it, and and it's and it is exhausting. Stress is exhausting. That's kind of the, one of the reasons why stress is so hard to deal with is because it takes so much of your energy while it's happening, you know. And for people who like myself, you know, had it turned up for the last three years, you know, four years, right, ever since Trump announced, uh, you know, that's been difficult. And I've you know, and I've I've had times in my past where I've lived like that, and it wore me out badly you know and i should have learned my lesson but you you know you get passionate about stuff and and you get into things you know and so we gotta talk ourselves down from the ledge and i think a lot of people might be looking at things better that way now i certainly well you saw i was certainly getting a ton of agreement on that post about you know look i'm not going to unfriend anybody over this this isn't a thing anymore i i I don't want to do that right i'm not into losing connections this election cycle i don't care about your politics so much anymore you know that was really cool to see all the support you were getting i was a little surprised yeah yeah and i wasn't because i because that's where i know most people are at on the left right and you guys don't hear it because we ain't out there making announcements like that we just kind of chill 
<laughs> you know, and, and so all you hear is all from all these crazy people like Antifa. And you're like, see, the left is this and the left is that. And it's like, yeah, okay, goose stepping Nazis. You know? <laughs> like, if that's what you're going to call us, you know, then here we go. Let's play tit for tat and away we go. Right. So um, I, you know, I, um, I also think that the and you disagreed with me on this but i think you also said that you could see where people were just like over it the whole trump trial thing and the whole impeachment stuff people were just over that man on both sides like we we're just like we have so many things that we need to get done and this is the shit that we're focusing on like we could be talking about healthcare, we could be talking about you know just a bunch of different things but yet we're you know sitting here the fate of the world rests on the phone call and regardless of what side anybody was on that I ever talked to, except for the extreme, you know, they were just like, I just want to eat dinner, go to bed, you know, or. Yeah. I, I still disagree with that whole line of thinking, but it's, um, it's from a place of, of kind of disappointment in the American public uh, on one hand, because I know you're right. I know you're right. You know, people just want to get on with their lives, blah, blah, blah. But you know, that's what opens the door to tyranny. And I'm sorry to, to put it that way, because I know that's kind of this like, whatever, but that is how it happens. I, I'm not making that up. That's not Chris's opinion of how history works. This is how it works. People get apathetic, you know, right about, you know, their government, they get into a place where they think it doesn't matter what they think, it doesn't matter what they do, right? This is that whole Stockholm syndrome thing I was talking about earlier. It's a manifestation of of that, you know, that you're, you're kind of in this, what you perceive to be this abusive relationship, you can't fight back, right? The government's very narcissistic, it seems, and in these days it is. And so this is a problem. And I, you know, the only way this problem ever gets solved from a historical perspective is people step up and say, no, I don't think I like that. I don't think I want that. I want standards to be upheld, you know, and Trump violated standards and he broke the law and he should have been punished for that and, and the, all the rhetoric and back and forth and all of that was very noisy, very time consuming, very difficult. And I don't think resulted in anything super positive. So sure, I can say, yeah, that was all a big waste of time. But I, I don't think it was a waste of time to get into the history books, at least. Somebody cared enough to say, no, this was wrong. And this needed to be said out loud somehow. You know, and it didn't get said after the Mueller report, which is when it really should have been said. And so then we're going to drag this phone call into it. And we're going to make this the thing. Well, it was a wrong thing for him to do. And I don't care if every single politician has done it in the history of politics or at any of a number of rationalizations for it. It was wrong. Well, if there was, should, you know, I'm sorry. So, um, if there was, and I'm not, I'm just asking a question because I, I, yeah, really, yeah. I, I honestly didn't follow it. Um, if he did do something wrong and there was like harm done and if he did do something illegal then why was it all dropped <laughs> because of the gop congress what do you mean why was it dropped well, no president has ever been impeached by his own party and that's what it would have been required right that three times impeachments happened and three times it hasn't happened because the you know the ruling party let the guy off the hook that's what happened. It's, well, it's, he, it's not any more complicated than that. Because even a lot of Dems like voted either no vote or they voted no on it. I know um, 
There was even what, a, in the Senate or in the House? Well, let's see. The Dems have because it Senate, passed right? the House. The yeah, the, the the Dems have the House. And it was voted down party lines, as I recall. Well, there was a, a couple of Democrats that went over to the GOP. Um, oh, all right. Yeah. And I mean, was, I, I I don't know what to say about that, but it was still the right thing to do from a historical perspective, and it was still the right thing to do from a moral perspective. And you you rarely see that sort of thing. You know, we were watching. I'm gonna let me let me comment on this and just sort of say this. Yeah. Uh, so that so that you actually get my full perspective on it, because M Melissa and I have been laughing our asses off lately, watching old Saturday Night Lives, mm -hmm. and from the Clinton era, when Clinton was getting impeached, right? And Saturday Night Live would do their satire news every week, and they would also do skits about Clinton, right? Because Daryl Hammond is like this genius level Clinton impersonator, and if you go back and watch those episodes. Clinton was getting it the same way Trump was, right? Now, he and was, he was being impeached because he lied, right? Yeah, and there was there were multiple investigations. Whitewater was an investigation. I mean, Monica Lewinsky, the the the, I, she was the gal, right? Who she ended up aid, if I remember correctly. Yeah, well, there was a woman before that, Paula Jones, and there was but, another woman. I mean, Clinton was a womanizer, man. And he was also a crook in Arkansas. He was a total crook. He ran a whole political machine there. Him and his wife built it. I didn't know that. And, oh, yeah, absolutely he was. But, but my point was everybody knew what was going on at the time. And he still got support. And then he got impeached. And then, you know, he got off the hook. And then that was that. Same, same is what I'm trying to say here, right? It, should he have been impeached for sexual mis, you know, misconduct in the White House and then lying about it? Yeah, he should have been. It was a disgraceful thing for him to do as the president of the United States and then lie about it in front of everybody until he finally had to confess the truth because he got busted. But that was the least of the things that Clinton was actually guilty of. Same, same with Trump, right? And so this is the teeth gnashing frustration of the parties acting to protect their guy rather than acting in a judicial objective manner when they're doing judicial stuff. And it was very clear all over social media that no member of the GOP, which is the majority in the Senate, was going to deal with this in an objective manner. Not one of them even pretended to. So you kind of go, well, was he really impeached or was that just a sham? That, had, that, that, that was inevitably going to end that way. Well, of course it was. But I feel, you know, good on the Dems for at least taking a stand and doing, and saying, we disagree, we think this is wrong, and here's why, and documenting it. And I, you know, I, I know it's a difficult topic, but I think that's where I kind of come down on it. A lot of people said that, like, the Dems couldn't let 2016 go, and that they have this, like, simmering, like, hatred and stuff. And the way Adam Schiff approached it was kind of like on a revenge motto. And that's the way a lot of people on the right saw it. And honestly, like, I hate to say it, but I just didn't care because I knew it wasn't going to go anywhere anyways. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, all they're doing is repeating Fox News' talking points when they say that. You know, I mean, Fox News is the most watched news channel in the world. And a lot of those guys on the right are the ones watching it. So when they repeat its talking points, I kind of go, hmm, yeah, it's not a really a big surprise there. You know what I mean? In the same way that, you know, you hear a lot of the guys on the left, you know, repeating what Maddow says. I don't, because I don't listen to Maddow anymore. But She's you know, kind of a conspiracy theorist at this point, man. Some of the stuff she says, a little wacky. Yeah, and it, that could well be. 
because that's how you get the clicks. Remember, it's all about the clicks for those guys these days. It's not about the truth. That sucks. It used to be about the truth. It really did. It really did, you know, but now it's not. Well, that's why everyone, you know, and say what you will about it, but Trump did kind of bring some light to the media. Unfortunately, he made it to where nobody trusts the media now to where I think it should be. He only, yeah, there was a fire there way before he got there. This has been a problem for a very long time, the, the, the media problem. This is going back to the 80s when laws were changed that regulated what the media could and couldn't do. And um, since those laws changed is when we saw the rise of divisive media. That's when Fox News happened. That's when Rush Limbaugh happened, et cetera, right? And this is all in the 90s. So, um, so Trump is just fuel to the fire, right? He's just, he's just throwing, you know. He made it mainstream. Uh, well, he, he bitched and moaned because he wasn't getting the adulation he thought he deserved. I mean, let's be straight. You know, Trump was not shining a light on anything. Trump was bitching and moaning about the fact that he wasn't getting the adulation he thought he deserved and would get once he was elected or now that he was in this position. And all he was really doing was was showing off his insecurities to the entire world. Well, that's why he always has Sean Hannity interviewing him. Because that's Sean right. Like, oh, or I Fox please? and Friends. Yeah, he calls into Fox and Friends and, you know, they're sitting there on, on pins and needles and eggshells through the whole show wondering what's he going to say next, you know? It's just, it's kind of hilarious uh, at, from a certain perspective. It, it'll, make, it'll make very, very funny entertainment in years to come, but we got to survive it first and the next four years are not at all certain right now, so. It's, I, in November, I'm hoping that people keep their cool, man. I, you know, but I, my, I my so biggest- too. My biggest worry is that I think there's a lot of people that have had it, that it's just like, you know, we're tired of this shit. And I don't think they really know what to do anymore. I think they feel that the system has failed them. I, I think that they feel that the government doesn't work for them anymore. And that's kind of scary when you have people that, that think like that, um, you know, so. It's, no, it's true. There's always, there's, there's always um, trying to get to the bigger perspective again, just for a second. I'm not discounting what you're saying at all i agree with completely with what you're saying it's a little hard to gauge the percentages on this stuff though you know polling is so skewed and uh, you know it usually takes a lot of time after the fact to kind of figure out what happened in an election and why you know i mean it was the racist card for like three months after trump was elected and you know that definitely was not why trump was elected you know so you're kind of like okay um, so it takes a while after the fact to usually figure out why stuff goes down the way that it does. Um, you know, but sitting in the middle of it right now, we can just kind of, I, I don't see a majority of the United States population or even a very super large percent so pissed that they're ready to do more than just grumble and moan and bitch and complain about it on social media or to their relatives or whatever and take it out on their friends and, right. and you know their frenemies so i think i think that's kind of where we're still at you know we're not we're not anywhere near economically socially uh even the, even with all the divisiveness that we complain about right now it doesn't translate to the real world anywhere near the way it does on social media and until it does until it's like everywhere around us and you really can't go out without, you know, getting into it with somebody over something like this. When it's at that level is when we should really be concerned. 
at the level that it's at right now, you know, it, it, it's not even, there's not even social unrest, really. There's protests, which is perfectly normal and acceptable behavior and is a constitutional right. Absolutely. So, you know, so we're not, we're not in any kind of, you know, riotous, oh my God, it's, you know, end of days kind of thing. I, I got to thinking that way for a little while uh, some time ago. And I did some deep dive, some real research on this stuff, and we're we're not there. So that's my take on it, at least. But that's not to say people aren't pissed. Oh people yeah, people are pissed, absolutely. Uh, you know, but but when you look back in history, people are always pissed. <laughs> There's always a reason to be pissed about something. Yeah, that's right. And they are. They're always pissed. I'm not kidding. That's I say that facetiously, but I'm actually not kidding. People are always, there's always some level of pissed offness at the government going back to the beginning of the United States. It's, it's almost traditional to be pissed off at the government in the United States, you know, yeah, so. It's, it's, yeah. It's as American as apple pie. <laughs> 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 uh, Good stuff, man. Yeah, absolutely. Ready to wrap up? Yes, sir. Um, cool man yeah i appreciate you uh you know you coming on again man it's always a good time yeah um, this was fun it's fun to just kind of let loose on some stuff we'll is. see if anybody cares <laughs> yeah i don't know but what it was fun. I'll put it on but uh yeah I'll, I'll put it up in a few days after i'm done editing um cool film my other you know stuff. if you want me to i'll throw this up on my channel i don't have a problem sounds good all right man talk right. talk later see ya later yep bye-bye